So tell me if this scenario sounds familiar. A coworker, a friend, a family member comes up to you and they are angry with you. And they claim that you have done something to, to hurt them, to wrong them, at the very least to bother or annoy them. But it gets worse. Not only do they say that you have done something to them, but they claim that there is a myriad of other people who feel the exact same way. They're all angry at you too. You've hurt, you've maligned them too. But then when you ask, well, who else have I hurt? Who all is in this giant army of aggrieved people? All of a sudden, they get real quiet. Oh, no. They don't want to come forward. They don't want to say anything. But trust me, I'm not the only one who's upset. There's a lot of us. One of the worst feelings in the world is being accused of something and feeling like you don't have the ability to reconcile it, to deal with it. And certainly that's the case when someone comes up to you and says, you've hurt me, but not only have you hurt me, but you've hurt a whole lot of other people, but I can't give you the names, I can't tell you the faces, I can't tell you anything else, just know this, you're a bad person. <laughs> it's a terrible feeling to be accused, to know that you're sideways, to know that something's dysfunctional, but feel like you can't fix it. And boy, does that stir up some anxiety in us. Today we're concluding a teaching series that we've been in for the last month or so, where we've been trying to look really practically at relationships and anxiety, and the connection between those two things, and specifically what, what Jesus has to say about how we can, heck, we can have healthier relationships and we can also then manage that anxiety in a really reasonable way. And, and believe it or not, as we've demonstrated throughout this series, Jesus talks a lot about those two things, about relationships and anxiety. And today what we're talking about is that anxious moment when you, you know that you are at odds with at least one other person, but you feel powerless to fix it and make it right. Now, before we dive in too deep, we need to look at the words of Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the moment in, in Jesus' ministry where he is, he's really stepping forward and saying that he is greater than Moses. Moses was really kind of at the top of the mountain of God's people. And Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount is saying, no, I'm at the top of the mountain. Jesus is saying, I'm the new lawgiver. I'm the new authority on all things God. And so he articulates his understanding of God's kingdom and how the world is supposed to work. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he touches on a number of different things. And, and one of the things he touches on is murder. But what's interesting about Jesus talking about murder is that he very quickly pivots to relationships. He, he pivots specifically to anger and how the anger that we experience when our relationships get dysfunctional, how it can affect our relationships, and how people of God should respond when they sense that there is anger and hurt and hostility and that their relationship with somebody else is broken. Look at Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, You have heard it said, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister, you could say, will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. And then Jesus goes on to say that if you discover that that someone is accusing you of some wrong, you should drop everything everything to go and reconcile it and go fix it. If there is some anger, some strife between you and somebody that that you should live at peace with, that there should be love in between you and that person, that there should be joy and service and sacrifice between you and that person, but if you discover that there is animosity and tension and dysfunction, that you should drop everything and go and fix it. Now, I think the reason that Jesus starts with murder but ends with relationships is because is because Jesus understood that most people understood that murder was bad. But what most people misunderstand is how destructive anger is in relationships. And most people undervalue the importance of pursuing reconciliation in relationships. And so Jesus glosses over thou shalt not kill and goes to fix your broken relationships. In fact, Jesus says this is so important for those who are members of God's family. He says, and this is kind of mind-blowing, that if you have the choice between going to church and going to fix a relationship that you have broken, which should you choose? You should go and fix the broken relationship. And, and, and that's, that's really something for Jesus to say in the first century context that he was in because following the rites and the rituals was everything, but Jesus is saying, here's how important it is to make wrong relationships right. Jesus is saying, I value reconciliation between brothers and sisters over religious ritual. Now, that should give us pause. I think we have the opportunity for some some honest reflection here because just speaking as as your pastor and your friend, I know that, that for some of us, we are far too comfortable with the reality of broken relationships in our lives. Some of us have people in our life who say we have hurt them, we have wronged them, We have done something to be at odds with them, and then we, we have done nothing to try and fix it with them. And what Jesus is saying is that if someone has accused you, even if you don't think that you've done anything wrong, but if someone in in, in your family, someone in your circle of friends, someone in your church accuses you of doing something to hurt them, to wrong them, to make the relationship broken between you and them, that you should not be okay with that, that you should drop everything to try and fix that. If you're here as a baptized follower of Jesus and there is a relationship in your life that should otherwise be marked with joy and love but is riddled with dysfunction or perhaps you are completely completely disengaged from this person, you are estranged from them, and the ball is in your court to make it better, but you've done nothing, you are in the wrong. Now, I know that that relationships have a lot of nuance and there's always a big story, but speaking in generalities, Jesus says, if someone you should live at peace with 
is at odds with you, and they're saying the ball is in your court, you hurt me, it's all on you, you have to make some move to try and make that right. Because here's what Jesus is about to do. Jesus is about to go climb on a cross, die for the sins of the world, then rise out of a grave, and in doing so, he's about to fix the biggest of broken relationships. He's about to reconcile all of humanity to God the Father. And what Jesus is, in essence, saying is that if you are going to receive that reconciled relationship through his work, but then refuse to reconcile with others, that sets you up to be a massive hypocrite. So don't be a hypocrite. Reconciled people seek to reconcile with people. Prioritize fixing what's broken. Now, let's circle back to what I said at the beginning. That's what makes these kind of sneak attacks with other people so insidious. That, that's what makes it so, so awful feeling when someone comes to you and says, you've done something wrong and you've hurt all these other people, but, but you can't know who they are. It, it makes it awful, if not evil, because it robs you of the recourse to make it right. Jesus says, reconcile, pursue it, fix it. But if you don't know who you've wronged, if it's just this giant anonymous army of they and them and we, all you're left to do is sit with the accusation and you're stuck with it and you can't do anything with it. And that's awful. Now, now what I've found in, in my experience with some of this is that very often when someone comes to you and they say, I'm mad at you and so is the rest of the family, that very often the rest that they mention doesn't actually exist. That they've either made it up or, or what's happened is they've gone around to family members or coworkers or other church members and they've complained about you and they have interpreted other people's silence or indifference as agreement. And then they've enlisted all those people in their silent army of we and they, without those other people even knowing. It's a form of manipulation, really. You have someone who typically is a strong personality, strong enough to tell you, hey, you've hurt me, but very insecure, too insecure to stand behind their accusation, and so they have to enlist a giant army behind them. But all that aside, it's, it's terribly difficult to be on the receiving end of accusation that you've hurt people's feelings and to feel like you can't do anything about it. It's an awful, awful feeling, and it leads to a ton of anxiety. It, it leads to prayers like this in the Psalms. Psalm 70, 71, starting at verse 12, says this. Oh God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. <laughs> Did you know you can pray for your accusers to be put to shame? I got a verse for you. <laughs> May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. So the psalmist here is saying, this doesn't feel fair. I don't know where this is coming from. I can't fix this. Lord, deal with them. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. It's awful to feel stuck in a dysfunctional relationship and like you can't fix it because you don't even know who all the people are that are mad at you. 
But here's my question for us. When you feel stuck in a dysfunctional relationship, are you really stuck? And I would say the answer is no. Based on what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and then elsewhere in Matthew 18, Jesus talks about how to deal with some of these relationships. And I would say based on what Jesus says, you, you are not, you are not stuck, not at all. In fact, I think there are a handful of things for us to glean from Jesus' teachings about what we do when we feel accused but incapable of resolving and reconciling. I think there are at least three things that we can do. Number one, we can invite an actual conversation. Jesus makes that point in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 18. Go to the people who are willing to sit down with you, who are mad at you, and have a conversation with them. It's awful, it's icky, and nobody likes it, but it is absolutely necessary. Matthew 5 says this, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Sit with them. Understand what they say you've done. Talk about it with them. You should sit down with anyone who says they have an issue with you. And you should make it clear if it's a case where somebody's saying, and there's more of us, you should say to them, I know you say they don't want to tell me that they're hurt by me. Please pass along a message to them that I'm willing to talk with them and listen to them and sit down with them and apologize to them for anything that I've done wrong. Invite an actual conversation. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. The second thing I would say, and this is harder to do, but I think it's really important, is I think you are free to refuse owning any anonymous criticism. If, if the critic doesn't have a name or a face, then it doesn't deserve a place in your heart. Again, because you're stuck. If you accept anonymous criticism, I heard that someone out there doesn't like this, this, or this. If you choose to hold on to that, you can hold on to that, but all it can do is corrode you and eat at you because you can't resolve it. You can't go to the person and explain it. You can't give any context to it. You can't apologize for it. All you can do is carry it like dead weight. That's all that you can do. And so you are free, you are free in Christ to say, I'm open to any feedback that anyone wants to give me, but I, I can't hold on to anonymous complaints and criticism because all it's going to do is eat away at me. I can't resolve it. I can't do what Jesus told me to do, which is to come to you and make it better. But, but you should make it clear that you are open to feedback. You always are. You know, Proverbs says this, Proverbs says this in verse chapter 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Make it clear that you're open to feedback, but you would prefer for people to put a name behind it so you can actually fix it and deal with it. Now, as an aside, and this is especially true for people in leadership positions, sometimes there is a power disparity that makes it difficult for people to come forward and complain or give uh, or lodge really ne necessary complaints or to say that, you, that you've hurt them or wronged them. And if that's the case, then you have to go out of your way to say, I'm willing to do anything I can to make it safe for people to step forward and share how I've hurt them or wronged them or what I can do to better serve them. But in general, you, you are free to say, I can't own anonymous critique because I can't do what Jesus has told me to do with it, which is pursue reconciliation. All it's going to do is eat away at me. 
And then the last piece that you're free to do is to actually pursue reconciliation with whoever is available to pursue it with. The person who approached you and lodged this complaint in the first place, the people that you know are upset with you or mad at you or have some issue with you, you go to them and you pursue a right relationship. And that's what reconciliation means, right relationship. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends and you know, listen to the new Taylor Swift album forever together. You know, like, it doesn't mean you have to do that. What it means is, uh, reconciliation means that you attempt to restore the trust and remove the tension. That's what it means. You don't have to be best friends, but you attempt to restore some semblance of trust and remove the tension. And you try to do that with whoever is available to do that with. Invite a conversation. Refuse to own the anonymous criticism. You don't have to carry that. And pursue reconciliation with whoever is available. Now, I'll recognize this, that sometimes you can't pursue reconciliation with certain people. Sometimes the person who comes to you and is like, you've hurt me, you've done this wrong, and you're a terrible person, and you, you reach out to them, you try to make it right, and they want nothing, and they walk away. You can't reconcile with the unwilling. You can't. And other times there are people who are so unhealthy and so toxic that you shouldn't pursue reconciliation with them. Like, you can forgive them in your own heart and mind. Uh, you, you, can, you can try to live at peace with them, but you can't reconcile with them because to do so would be to get too close to somebody who is too unhealthy and to put yourself in harm's way. So here's what I would say. In the times when you can't reconcile with anybody in the midst of all the dysfunction, as people of faith, what we do is we reconcile with the one person that we can always reconcile with, and that's with the Lord. We run to the reconciliation that is already ours. First Peter says this, and I think this is helpful. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So come to God humbly, that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What this looks like is you know that there are relationships around you that are broken and dysfunctional and things need to get better, but you don't know who to go to out here. And so you take it all up to him in prayer. Or in a moment of confession and absolution in church, you confess all of it. I'm sideways with this person. They think I'm terrible. They're mad at me and I'm trying to make it better. But, but they won't listen. They're not open to it. You take it all to him. And it sounds something like this. Lord, this person has been hurt by me. This person has been offended by me. This person says I've wronged them. And I'm trying to fix it with them, but, but if it's true that I've hurt them and I've hurt them and I've hurt them, then I know that I have offended also you. And I confess that. I own that. Cover me in the forgiveness that is mine through Jesus Christ. Cover me in the right relationship that, that he has earned for me with you. And then help me, help me, knowing that I'm forgiven and reconciled to you. Help me to live at peace with Cindy from accounting, who apparently thinks I'm the worst, and my brother-in-law, Bob, who actually is the worst, <laughs> and my neighbor, Ted, who rolls his eyes at me and posts nasty things about me on a Facebook group for our neighborhood. Help me to live at peace with this person. Sometimes the only person you can reconcile with is God. And then let the reconciliation that you have with him through Jesus Christ stand at the ready to flow through you to other people if and when you are given 
the opportunity because we should always be open to reconciling. We should never feel okay with relationships that are not okay. What do you gotta do to make it right? I'll close with this. A little confession about the Popovitz family. We are reality television fans. One of the shows that we really appreciate is Survivor. Any other Survivor fans in the room? Smart people, right there, smart people. (laughs) It's a show that I think that I could go on as a contestant and I feel like I could win. And my wife, Lisa, she's like, you could never do that. You have to, you have to, you have to manipulate and lie. And, and, and sometimes you have to like, you know, cheat. And I said, that sounds amazing to me. I'm a pastor. I spend all my time talking about how God will forgive these things. It's fascinating to me that I could play a game where I would have permission to do all those things and win a million bucks. The thing about Survivor, though, and really all of television that makes it so fascinating and that you, you stay glued to it is, you know, the stuff that keeps us glued to these shows is the stuff that makes all of our real-world relationships really anxiety-ridden and really difficult. They, they put that stuff in the shows to keep us glued to it, but it's the actual stuff that we then bemoan in our real-life relationships. Maybe you don't watch Survivor. Maybe you're all into, like, Gilmore Girls. Still. Or maybe you're streaming The Office. Or maybe you're into, uh, you know, tougher television like Yellowstone. What keeps us glued to these shows is all of the dysfunctional relational dynamics that we've been talking about in this series. It's all about triangulation and manipulation. It's all about phantom strikes from unnamed people. It's all about double binds. It's all about paradoxes in relationships. It's all that stuff that makes life so difficult with real people keeps us glued to these fake ones. Our goal of this series has been to try and find a way to leave the drama on the shows that we stream so that there can be actual health in our actual relationships. So the next time somebody comes to you and says, I'm mad at you, but I'm not alone, there are others. What are you gonna do? Or the next time you feel angst, anxiety, in a relationship that's that's otherwise important to you and cherished by you, but you feel stuck, you don't know how to fix it, what are you gonna do? Here's what I know you can't do, you can't vote them off the island. I've looked into it. (laughs) Very illegal. Can't do it. Here's my hope, my prayer for you and me as we close out this entire conversation. My open prayer is that you and I would value reconciliation with others just a little bit more, more like how God the Father values it for us. My hope is that when a relationship is dysfunctional and sideways and you feel kind of stuck, you would remember that you are not stuck, that you would invite a conversation that you would otherwise avoid, that you would refuse to own all the anonymous arrows, but that you would pursue making things right with whoever is willing to work with you to make things right. Even if the only one you can run to and reconcile with is the one who has first reconciled himself to you in Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. That's our hope. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to say a prayer for 
all of our earthly relationships and how dysfunctional they so easily get, that God would give us strength to navigate those better and more Christ-like. And then we're going to close with the words of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to say that prayer together. So let's bow our heads and open our hearts as we close. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the relationships we have. Family, friends, work, church, all of it. We thank you. E- even though it's always loaded with, with awkwardness and, t- and tension and, and sometimes just difficulty, Lord, we, we give you thanks for all the relationships that we have. And Father, we ask that, that the next time we find ourselves at odds with someone else, that we would, we would seek to make it right. And that even when we feel stuck, like we can't fix it, we can't, we can't find a path towards reconciliation or forgiveness, that we would still try and pursue it. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to be willing to have the difficult conversations that need to be had. Uh, give us a sense of the freedom that we have to not feel undue guilt or shame for things we cannot resolve, that we cannot apologize for. And help us, Father, to have a posture that is always open and ready to reconcile with others. And in doing so, help us to mimic the ready stance that Jesus Christ, your son, has with us, always ready and willing to forgive and make things right with us. Father, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.